we are experiencing a paradigm shift. A fundamental change in the way we usually do things. We are intentionally choosing to see the silver lining. Opportunity arises. We can shine a light on the things that weren't working well, on those things that weren't really working at all. We can regroup, reevaluate, and re-engineer. It's time to explore new patterns and paradigms. Those that inspire us to rise above the chaos and explore how the conditions of today can take us to a better tomorrow. Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast, from Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress. You're listening to Episode 9, Manufacturing's Carpe Diem Moment, with your host, Pattern President and CEO, Jonathan Drapkin. Last week's guest, Laura K. Brown, Director of the University of Buffalo's Regional Institute, helped us to understand how the Buffalo region, and in particular the city of Buffalo, is moving forward with its plans to address revitalization. The city had been seeing pre-COVID real progress. There were metrics such as the attraction of millennials, which were starting to grow prior to COVID. So let's hope that continues. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to patternforprogress.org slash podcast. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. In this week's Pattern and Paradigms trend, we take notice that Ford Motor Company recently announced that they are adding 350 employees to two of their facilities to grow their production of electric vehicles. The Wall Street Journal also recently reported that General Motors has now surpassed Tesla in sales of small electric cars in China. Both of these stories follow Hummer, which is also selling its first electric vehicle. So how are electric vehicles doing in terms of sales? Well, in 2019, electric vehicles sold worldwide were up 6% but only represent 2.6% of total car sales. So we ask, trend or bubble? This week, Patterns and Paradigms turns its attention to the future of manufacturing. Our guests are Randy Wolken, the president and CEO of MACNI, the Statewide Manufacturers Association, and Harold King, president of the Council of Industry located in the Hudson Valley. Both Randy and Harold are veterans of championing manufacturing in New York State. We're going to explore what it will take for manufacturing to have its carpe diem moment in New York, especially with bipartisan support on the national level, with attention being placed on the sector due to issues of supply chain disruption that have occurred during COVID and a desire to see more reshoring of production. But before Randy and Harold join us, let's ask Patterns' Joe Chaika. What's up, Joe? Thanks, JD. As we're coming to the end of 2020, our projects are getting wrapped up. We're busy finishing four year-long projects, and I want to take a minute to run through each one. 
Let's start with the city of Middletown. We're working alongside the city and their Office of Economic and Community Development to create a neighborhood plan for the Fulton Street Corridor, which is located adjacent to their downtown. The corridor is only about, oh, let's say it's a quarter mile in length, but it is a strategic transition neighborhood between two major anchors within the city. On one side, there is SUNY Orange, and on the other is their downtown. Our work involves a survey of local residents, an assessment of proposed projects, and an existing condition survey of the physical assets, residential and commercial buildings. The goal is to create a blueprint for the city to continue its work in the downtown and incorporate this neighborhood into the revitalization efforts. In Rockland County, we're looking at the demographic and economic trends over the last 10 years, the impact of COVID, and developing a list of recommendations for the county on how to move Rockland forward. In Ellenville, Pattern is creating a strategic plan for the village that emphasizes Ellenville's strengths, including its outdoor resources, cultural institutions, and the downtown. The plan also recommends investments for the future of the village and presents ideas that would make Ellenville a regional destination. In Ulster County, we're creating a housing action plan. Our analysis of demographics and current housing conditions is providing the framework and foundation to establish a set of recommendations for the county to explore, including an outreach and education campaign for the general public, municipal leaders, and decision makers about their housing crisis. We remain very busy. We are looking forward to 2021 as we identify new projects that will provide the region with additional research, analysis, and action steps for balanced growth and revitalization. Thanks, Joe. Hi, Harold and Randy. Thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing? Doing well, Randy. Well today. Harold, you actually moved in the middle of COVID. We uh, we moved. We uh, we stayed open, but yeah, we 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 uh, moved from one end of Newburgh to the next as we kind of got thrown out of our old digs at the Mount St. Mary College. And Randy, are you all virtual or? Yeah, for the most part, uh, we went virtual that uh, in March, hundred uh, percent, and then uh, we've been in and out of the office in, in small groups for uh, you know, special tasks. But generally, we're all working from home. And all, I mean, both of you do a lot of convening all via Zoom and all online, and yeah, okay. yeah, it's all, that's all the case. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting adjustment for sure. Yeah, yeah, we're doing we're doing more events than we've ever done. So you can do a lot virtually, which is great given our business models, which is nice. Yeah, yeah it, el- it, el- it eliminates all the travel time, so it really does enable you to squeeze in a bit more. It does. There's some positives to it for sure. Uh, and, you know, that's it. You definitely have, you know, more people participate. Uh, you can have kind of a uh, maybe a higher quality presenter. You know, you doesn't matter whether they're in New York City or London or uh, or in Kingston. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it does lose a little something uh, uh, in the coming and the going and the side conversations and so yeah. forth. So yeah, gonna- like I, I can't see your facial expressions when you're looking at me saying, did you just say that? You know, that doesn't quite come across the same way. All right. 
So today we're going to talk a little bit about the future of manufacturing. And, and my first question really is, is, is this manufacturing's carpe diem moment in New York? Are we finally going to see uh, it rise to the top of the sectors because there's a great opportunity to see the workforce shift, um, provided we could do it? But what's your broad brush strokes? Let's start there. Is this a magic moment? I'll let Randy go with that one first. <laughs> Actually, I, yeah. I, think it is a, I think it's a great opportunity for manufacturing. Harold and I have been doing this together for quite some time. And I, and I do think that now, now is the moment when we focus on growing manufacturing again in New York State. You know, we're still a top manufacturing state. People forget that. But it hasn't always been an upward trend. And I think this is our opportunity because of the focus on technology, investment, and people. And I think New York State has some strategic advantages there. When past decades, it was more about cost cutting and trying to find ways to be most efficient. And uh, in a world of innovation, in a world of new product and opportunity, uh, maybe in a world that says, you know, I want to have local supply chains uh, and I want to be near populations, we, we can really do that in New York uh, as well as any place you know, in, the, in this country and potentially the world. Yeah, Randy said it. I mean, it's it, the emphasis away from the pure cost side of the business um, or the of the sector, um, which was the detriment to New York. Um, it, it was was you know the the challenge, and so the the, the shift more towards the value add, um, towards the you know the things that are that that are. Um, you may be more expensive, but um, what we're what we are good at, and that's kind of the brain power side of it, the innovation side of it, the creativity side of it. Um, you know, that's the strength that New York has developed, and you know, particularly uh, you know, Mohawk Valley, Hudson Valley. You know, that's where we we have those kinds of companies. Yeah, well, I would add to that that we have this unique combination of downstate and upstate, um, and the reality is you you've got a huge economic engine in downstate and you have a lot of opportunity, you know, start, starting in Harold's region all the way up through Buffalo. So we have the, you know, we can have the best of what I'll call, you know, Midwest uh, mindset in manufacturing and uh, the big city innovation and actually, you know, capital investment where New York City uh, has those kinds of things. So I think it could be our moment. Um, we've actually had an opportunity to have a number of discussions over the last two months. Um, and it seems as if, while many people think about the physical plant of manufacturing, both of you have been harping on the pipeline, the skilled workforce. Expand upon what's the issue there in terms of manufacturing in New York. Well, I mean, we, you know, as we as we talk about that innovation and that creativity and that high value add that comes at the, uh, you know, that the. Uh, uh, the price or the the value of people, um, you know, the brain power, and uh, you know, when you have automation, when you have uh, you know high, um, you know, highly engineered products that that requires higher skilled people, and that requires training and education, um, and, and I think you know they're not easy to come by. Um, you know, we, we can kind of go back to, you know, decades ago when we said we don't make anything anymore. We're going to be a service company, a country. We're going to focus that on that, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, that, that left a kind of a gap, uh, both a time gap, an age gap, and a, and a skills gap. So if you look at a typical Council of Industry member or MACME member, 
they're old. <laughs> their workforce, their workforce, uh, certainly and particularly in the skilled labor side, they're in the in the fifties, sixties, even some cases seventies and eighties, and that's where the the skilled people are. And uh, you know, we we need to create a pipeline that can replace them. Uh, and can you know continue to fill not just you know expanding jobs but really existing ones there as as people retire. Yes, Harold said we made a big mistake by saying uh, we can't make things anymore in this country. We kind of gave up that strategic advantage. It really built this country. And Harold's right with the skilled workforce that we have both in New York and the country. But that that's an opportunity for a comeback, especially in the like like Harold was saying, that's the high tech world that we now live in. It requires brain power, requires skilled labor. Um, and we, we have the capacity in New York to do that, but we have to focus on it. And so, you know, Harold and I and others, you know, in the manufacturing lines have been building this approach to getting apprenticeships started again. Those are things that were, you know, on the job learning and training upskilling was sort of the, the thing that companies did and now has, they have to redo again. And, uh, you know, we want to be a part of that. And it's pretty exciting, actually, I think. I, I, this is one of the more exciting periods of time, I think, for manufacturing to grow again, to reclaim its presence, and, and maybe even its, you know, like, as you mentioned, Jonathan, its you know, its need to be near the top of what we really care about. Um, not not just services, we can do those things. Not just financial markets, we want those things. But let's make things again. Let's innovate again. Let's do R and D again. And if we do those. You know, we're going to see in, in, incomes grow and we're going to actually deal with our other problems around diversity, inclusion and so forth. And manufacturing was a part of bringing many people into the middle class and, and uh, with the uh, skill set needed to be in tech and manufacturing. It can be a part of that again. There have been many phrases which I, ha- I, you know, I think we've become accustomed to using of upskilling apprenticeships, uh, mentorships. Maybe you could explain or give examples of a couple of those that you really like that, you know, such and such has a really good program and here's how it works. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I'll, I'll kind of tout our own horn here. I think, you know, one program that, that really has been effective is, uh, you know, a program that the Manufacturing Alliance uh, started. And, and just a little quick background, the Manufacturing Alliance was was formed by Randy and I. <laughs> um, it is it is an association of manufacturing associations. We were the first two partners. We came together about uh, 15 years ago to say, hey, we can we can leverage some of our, our membership and some of our, uh, you know, give, give us, give some depth across the state. Um, and, you know, MACNI has really taken the lead with that as organization, and they've, they've put together an apprentice program um, with their relationship with, with the New York State Department of Labor and Empire State Development. Um, and, and we put together an apprenticeship program that made it uh, made the, the state-sponsored programs accessible to smaller companies. And I think that is uh, kind of the, you know, a, a real step forward. Um, the, the state programs have been traditionally uh, dominated by construction trades and and labor unions and big big companies that had the the uh, manpower and resources to kind of navigate the 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 Department of Labor system, um, which is in many ways a great system. It ensures that the the quality of the apprenticeship that it's going to be an effective one, um, but that excluded that that level of, partic- of participation that was required and investment that was required to get a sponsor to become a sponsor. It precluded a lot of companies from doing that. And uh, by working through the alliance and these individual partners, we 
as associations became the sponsor and were able to do a lot of that paperwork and take on that, that responsibility uh, and then take that sponsorship and make it accessible to our members and smaller firms. So I will say that that is working. You know, we have terrific access now. We have a whole bunch of people who could not have access to apprenticeships, both companies and individuals that never had it before. And apprenticeship in and of itself really is a great thing. I mean, it's been a buzz. It's been hot lately. Um, it's something that that this country was not doing great uh, into, you know, through the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s, but we are re-discovering re, uh, uh, it um, and looking at some of those European models and, and looking at it and taking, taking it seriously. And what it does is it really provides a career path. It provides a, a, an opportunity for somebody who may maybe not want to go to college, uh, maybe wants to work with their hands, is bright, is active. It gives them a chance to to uh, get, earn skills, uh, learn at the side of, of basically learn and earn, um, learn at the side of, uh, of an individual who is a skilled craftsman, um, and at the same time uh, receive uh, appropriate education and training that's related to what they're what they're doing, what they're so they're they're interested and they're engaged. And then it just opens all doors and they get a credential at the end of it that is meaningful, that can take them, they can go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the state with that credential and it means something. Um, and it just opens all kinds of doors and it and it closes that skills gap that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, well said, Harold. And I think it's been great to do it as a partner throughout the state with you and the other organizations. We have seven of these programs now spread throughout the state, hundreds of new apprentices over the last three years alone and dozens of skilled trade uh, pathways that it were there, but not being used. Uh, in fact, establishing brand new ones for companies that needed new uh, pathways. And so uh, I'm really excited about the, both the network and the fact you can reach companies of 10 people and companies of thousands of people. We, we have very large companies doing this and then this really small companies. And that was unheard of yeah. uh, before the Alliance dove right in and like Carol said, with the honest support and encouragement of the New York State Department of Labor and working with SUNY and working, you know, with Empire State Development. So a real partnership. You know, what's really exciting is to see it spread to other parts of the economy as well. Um, that that those, in, those other organizations that serve the insurance industry and, you know, the tech industries and IT and so forth say, well, we want to do that too. So um, I, I think New York State could really be a flagship operation for apprenticeships. It's an old concept that needed a refresh. And, and uh, this isn't a way to do it. So Harold, did you accidentally name the program, you know, and we should learn and earn, learn and earn. I wish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I wish I'd coined that. We're going to give Harold credit for it. <laughs> yeah. <Harold was> <laughs> um, so let, let me ask you, we've posited in the Hudson Valley for a while that for about and this is an average, there are some better, some worse. High school is the end of, of learning for about a third of high school students. Two thirds go on in some form to either a four-year institution, a community college, maybe they go into the army, but for the most, for one third of our high school students, how do we get into that group and say, hold on, we actually have a way to give you a, a pathway to the middle class. Yeah. Is there, yeah. is there, so how do we target that group? Well, 
you know, I think we've started that, you know, as an alliance group and we've started some programs specifically that start in high school. In fact, we've learned you can't just start in high school. You got to start in middle school. You know, in fact, we've started to launch a product that's ABC is a STEM that starts in elementary school. We have to educate parents that these pathways are viable into STEM careers. And you have to take the right amount of, you know, science and math when you're in high school so that you're prepared to do this. You know, and I think it's so it starts with redefining what a career looks like and how it starts, you know, in high school. But you got to be prepared for it. And I think we have to reeducate people, say these are fantastic jobs that pay really well you know, and end up with an apprenticeship and or associate's degree or above. You know, I have uh, on our team, we have someone who's now our chief learning officer that started as an apprentice, finishes, finished his bachelor's degree, went on to be the president of a company, you know, and he still displays his apprenticeship certificate on his wall. Uh, his pathways was through apprenticeship out of high school into a company and a career. And, and I think, quite frankly, people are going to reevaluate those who want to go right to community college they might decide they're going to link that up with going to work, you know, back to Harold's phrase, learn and earn. Let's, let's, let's make some money while, while we're learning. Let's make some money while we're paying for education. By the way, let's have our company pay for it. Uh, not just us. Cause I think one of the biggest challenges is a huge debt we have uh, for so many young people. And that takes money out of our economy. So I think the reality is uh, we got to start young and we have to redefine what career pathways are and say, you know, join a career pathway. It may not be your last one, but make it your first. Yeah, and I, I just echo that. I mean, I, I think we have made some great strides. I mean, not just us, but yeah. but you know, the the country has in kind of you know raising the point you just made, Jonathan. That you know, there's a whole bunch of people that aren't going to college. Let's do right by them. You know, let's. Uh, we had a a board member, uh, a gentleman from Balchem Corporation, who used to said, "Well, you know, kids don't know what they're going to do until they, you know, some some September morning they there's." They used to go out for the bus, but this September they don't go out for the bus. This September, what the heck? They got to go find a job or do something, and so they end up at Burger King or the mall. And there's nothing wrong with that to get you started. But if you had a, a different exposure, if you knew a little bit better about what the opportunities were when you were 11, 12, 13, 14, then you then you maybe had a better have a better game plan for that day. You know that September after graduation, or hopefully you know that June after graduation. Uh, where you where you can get into a career, and uh, hopefully that career has a path, uh, you know, or multiple paths where yep. you can end up, you know, you know, Randy's story about the you know the the business owner, you know, we have a dozen of them as well, folks yep. who got whether they're apprentices or, you know, we actually have folks who are have engineering degrees that have gone back to be apprentices. They just said, you know what, I, I, this is fine, but I I much rather make the part than design it. So I you know I, I that's more more fulfilling to me. So there's all kinds of ways to do it. We have we have a you know a company in Middletown that uh, you know will take a take a machinist and and we have stories of them getting their master's degree master's in engineering degrees you know through the company all paid for that whole path because they just have a career tra- trajectory and and the company does it so. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities for folks, and I think we've put such an emphasis on college, but I do feel it shifting, and I think there are lots of educators now, you know, Randy and I talk to them all the time, uh, that are just willing to look at new new solutions, new alternatives, and and are kind of craving partnerships to, to make it work. They have all these job openings, and they can't be filled in the traditional pathways. So, and I think that's what manufacturing tech is different today. You, with a technical degree, 
you you can really be on a great pathway. And then, like Harold said, you can go get your bachelor's and master's degree, your PhDs. We have one company that hires, you know, community college graduates, over 200 of them, then they continue their education. Mm-hmm. So we have to stop thinking there's one model. You go to school, you learn, then you get a job. Yeah, maybe that's the model. <laughs> maybe it's not the only model. And I think given all these technical careers and openings, we need to sort of uh, crack the code and, and start thinking about different ways to take underemployed individuals. Maybe they're in the retail or service sector. Maybe they're in hospitality. They're not working right now. Well, they can go work in a manufacturer. You know, all those job skills they use to make burgers, you can make parts, you can make sophisticated electronics in the future. So let's not go back to necessarily doing it the way we did it. Let's continue to find better ways. We have a partner that we work with, an educator who's a very innovative educator. And uh, he describes career pathways. They're not pathways, they're subway maps. Uh, There are stations where you hop on and you can get on multiple trains and go in different directions and you can come back and circle back and you can end up here and there and everywhere. Um, so you, you can start at the at the Burger King and, and end up as a PhD scientist, uh, you know, for a Regeneron or something. You know, I mean, it, it definitely it had happens. And uh, we if we think of it that way and understand it that way, then we can we can in, encourage people to, you know, to, to pursue opportunities when they present themselves and help them understand what what, what where they can go. Yeah. So let's let's use the word encourage for a second, because I know. Harold, I'm familiar with, you know, you will take students and bring them into the plants. Um, You will, I think you've, I think there have been videos that are shown in school. How do we convince younger people that manufacturing is cool? Because uh, the plants that I am in are nowhere, they don't look like when my father was a manufacturer. (laughs) You know, it's not a dirty floor in there. They're, They're spotless in there. How do we convince people manufacturing is cool? It doesn't take much. It takes that, right? And and let's be clear, it's not cool for everybody. Like some right. people go, oh, well, I'm not interested in that, right? That's fine. And that's fine as long as you have that exposure. But yeah, you, all of the above, Jonathan, you got to get people in there. You got to get our people in front of them. Um, honestly, I've been doing this for a lot of years, almost 30. And really in the last five uh, you know, probably kind of pre-COVID, we had a lot of momentum. I mean, some really good things were happening and things were changing. And I, and I think it will continue. It feels like there's a little bit of a bump in the road as we readjust to how we're doing it. Um, but I think, you know, it, it takes takes, a, you know, some leadership from individuals uh, both on both sides, on the education side and, and on the on the industry side. Um, you know, honestly, industry people dropped the ball on this for decades. I mean, they just they just left it to education and, and, you know, other public officials to build their workforce. And, you know, that wasn't the case in the forties and the fifties and the sixties, you know, they took an active role, but they, they left it. And, and now they're discovering that they can't do that. If they do that, everybody ends up, you know, going to college and being a sociologist and, and uh, what we really need is to, to show them and, and engage. And, and that requires, you know, partnerships. And uh, actually I think Randy's Randy uh, organization, Runs an organization called uh, Partnerships. Uh, Partnerships for Education. Education. Yeah. <laughs> Should let, let you talk about this. Well, no, you're right. I, I, I would say that uh, manufacturing and technology is cool. And when we get people uh, in those facilities, talking to people who work there, they, they catch it, they understand it. And we need more educators to come, more teachers to come, more parents to see that this exists. 
because there was this feeling that was going, it was gone. And we were told through the, through the modern media, well, we don't need to make these things anymore. And those, won't, those things won't be made here anymore. So don't bother. And I think we, we did. The business community sort of let, let itself down by not emphasizing, no, we want these types of jobs here. We want these opportunities. We want to make these things in our country. And there's a, an awareness, I think, that it probably wasn't there 10 years ago. And I agree with you. In the last five years, I think it's taken off. You look at the software use, the IT use, the technology use, robotics, all the cool things that now can be made. You know, actually, you can make them in your garage. Um, so, so I think we're going to see an era of innovation. We're going to see a lot more interested individuals. And they may come at it from the software side or the technology side and then find themselves really like Harold said, I want to make it. You know, I, I don't just want to design it. I don't want to just read about it. I don't want to just service it. I want to make it. Um, so well, I think and, those things are cool. And COVID may very well have just been then the way you're talking about it, the exclamation point on the momentum saying, hold on a second, there's a disruption in supply chain. Yep. Why aren't we making things here and not just PPE, but what else could we be doing here? And it may be that we could emerge from this with this renewed, dare I ever say, bipartisan support that we should be manufacturing more things here. Um, let me take you to the other end. So there's all different skill levels in manufacturing. And so I heard a term this morning that I, I had not heard where someone was actually calling it manufacturing 4.0. Have either of you heard? Yeah. Okay, so well, actually, term typically is industry 4.0. Okay, but but manufacturing is a subcomponent of that, and it's it's the use of all these interwoven technologies, and and there and now there are, these technologies have changed the face of manufacturing, robotics, uh, self-driving vehicles, wearables, you know, uh, basically connected devices. All of these things are in our in our in our factories today. If you go in our factories, you'll see elements of all of these things. The forklift trucks that drive themselves. You don't have to go down the road to see a self-driving vehicle. You can go to our facilities and see them. Um, you can literally see lines and lines of robots uh, working side by side by individuals. And so, they are just cool places. I I love going on tours for that reason. I never get tired of going to see our members. The the things that they make. Uh, and the way in which they make it fascinates me to no end. And I'm convinced, especially with the adoption of all this digital technologies, we can show people they never have to set foot in one to start with. They can just see it. Uh, we're, we started to do You Do What series. Uh, and, and it's fascinating what people what is it? do for a living. You know, all kinds of things. You, know, you, can be a, you can be a chef at Giovanni and you're making, you're making sauce. So you're, you're in the food business, but you're directly making that sauce, and you're you're the person who's putting the recipes together, or you're an engineer that's creating drones, or maybe you're in the next generation of radar technology. I mean, these things only happen in tech and manufacturing. I mean, you can be in the service industry, nothing wrong with it, but you probably aren't going to touch something that's going to maybe make the next generation of the autonomous vehicle work. Um, so for your for the creative types, you can't help but get excited about it. Right. So that, again, and, and you know, kind of with the pandemic and the creative and creative types and and, and industry 4.0, yeah. we have we have companies very much involved with the vaccine uh, development. Right. So we both you know companies here in the Hudson Valley like Pfizer and and Regeneron, um, but also we have companies that are making laboratory equipment like freeze dryers and homogenizers and centrifuges that are 
you know, right in that, working very closely with the, you know, the scientists on the other end to, to, to design the equipment that they need and, and to, to tweak it to make it more interactive and, and make it, you know, fulfill their, their requirements. I mean, that's, that's rewarding. I mean, that's, you know, that's something you, to, to be honestly say, I helped develop the vaccine, or in some cases, you know, I built that part that's on the Mars rover, you know, that, that is, that's going to land. So, you know, those kinds of things that are, I built that, that piece uh, that, of medical equipment that saved grandpa, you know, those kinds of things are, are uh, very, very rewarding. And I think that this, you know, it's a differentiator for, for our sector. Yeah. We have those same medical instrument producers here. Welsh Allen is in the suit. Yeah, I, here. You, you know, I went in today to get my ears checked and there's all that equipment there, all made <laughs> local, you know, and the reality is what well, we have companies that, that Harold said that make equipment for NASA, you know? So these are the cool things that get done in our community. And what's hard to fathom is you drive by them all the time. These are nondescript buildings that sit along the road that your school bus or you drive by every day. And so that's probably the piece that we don't do well enough. We don't show people what's inside because they're behind nondescript walls. Um, and maybe that was a, a time while we have to protect secrets and, and, and maybe we don't want everybody to know, but now it's time to tell everybody, this is what we make. This is why it's so cool. And you ought to want to work here. In fact, there ought to be a line out the door to work here because this is cool stuff. And by the way, you're making a big difference. Um, and the money's not bad. The money's really good. Stop paying <laughs> yeah, sector absolutely. in New York. Stop paying, paying sector in New York in terms of upstate. In our well, community, that, the best paying sector. You know, it's interesting because, uh, Randy, what that sort of, you don't see it. So you wonder, though, I can't see manufacturers wanting to spend the money, but a little, just a little more emphasis on the architectural design of the building yeah. is the kind of thing where you may drive by and say, hold on a second, what's going on in there? I mean, were you, I mean, this is incredible to me as a, you know, son of a father who was a manufacturer that we're ta- we're using words like cool, exciting, you know, I made it. My niece, actually, in a family Zoom call, she's an engineer. She makes prosthetics, and right. she does it on. She does it for basically at home through three um, D printing, which she has in her house. And then, yes, she goes to school for engineering. Now, let's clear up something here, where some people say, "Well, it's all going to be automated." Nope. Okay, so how do you react when someone well, says well, that? The reality is they're not letting people go. They can't afford to. They're repurposing re, re, uh, their jobs. They're moving them to other parts of the facility. They're not letting people go. They're hiring people. So people, in the, if, you're in the, if you're in the tech business, you're growing, you're moving, you're using the technology. They can't afford to let you go. Harold said, we keep individuals into their 80s in our facilities. Um, the average tenure is the largest, is the longest of any sector of manufacturing, any sector. People stay in their current job. Over a decade is the average tenure in a in manufacturing. So the reality is they get their hooks in you. They want you to stay. They'll reinvest in you. And the tech, it's a big misnomer. It, it drives me nuts. The tech genius is saying we won't have anybody working. Not true. They're working next to robots. They're designing the next generation of whatever is coming about. And I have two daughters that are one. One makes uh, or designs glass and facades, and the other, you know, helps do, used to do and now has her own business, but did pottery uh, and other glass things. I mean, it is cool to make things. 
It, it is and it's fun to design them and to see them come to the reality. And if you want a 3D printer, you could print your own stuff at home and make it. Right. Um, Absolutely. That was not available 10 years ago. So, so Jonathan, the old joke was that the factory of the future would uh, have one employee and a dog. <laughs> the dog's job was to keep the employee from touching the equipment and the, the employee's job was to feed the dog. It's a, it's a funny joke, but it is not the case. I mean, the truth is that as that technology evolves, new jobs evolve with it. And you know, whether that is, you know, uh, programming the automation or, uh, you know, designing how it's going to be used and even all of it, it keeps coming. And, uh, you know, we've seen the technology increase. We've seen employment. Honestly, Randy and I have, you know, I've seen employment in manufacturing drop precipitously from when I first started, but it has definitely plateaued and is moving back up. And I think the reason is we've just kind of hit that balance between uh, automation uh, and um, uh, productivity uh, and opportunity. And it, it, it seems like this is in New York, it kind of mirrors the nation as well. Um, but but I think we've, we've reached that balance. And I, I think, you know, the jobs will continue to be there and they will continue to be more uh, highly skilled or require higher skills and commensurate pay. So I think the trend is if you get in, you're going to stay in and you're going to make more money over time. Yep. So and how I, does the, uh, sorry, Randy, go ahead. I was going to say that it, we've uh, up until the recession, we, as a, as a total uh, volume and total, actually total value, we've never made more you know, product. I mean, reality, it's most efficient. We used to have lines and lines of people next to each other, but it wasn't as efficient. The manufacturers are really good at being efficient. They're really good at getting value out of those investments. They invest a ton in capital. So that new machinery is coming all the time. Uh, so they're, they're, they basically invest in people and place and, and equipment. So that's why those jobs aren't going to go away. As long as the nation values them and we continue to focus on them, like Harold said, we took our eye off the ball. You know, we, we, we companies were incentivized in my opinion, to move things overseas, you know, to extend those supply chains, uh, you know, based on cost alone, for the most part. Um, I think those trends all move differently now. And I do think that we have great opportunities because of it. Any thoughts on how New York can help expedite that movement to doing things here? You know, especially coming out of COVID, there's a lot of thinking, no, there isn't a lot of money right now. But you know, this is certainly the time to be able to say, hey, here's what we should be doing in order to expand it. Because one other way to expand the number of jobs is to expand the number of manufacturers, even if they're doing it more efficiently, there'll still be more jobs. So any ideas on what New York can do? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the, the the basic answer is, you know, from a business climate standpoint, you can, you know, do what, what you can. And, you know, we recognize the uh, the politics being what they are, you know, that there's maybe more of an emphasis on uh, on other issues than than improving the business climate at this point. Um, but, you know, that's regular regulation and taxes and, and that, that that sort of thing. Um, but even with that said, you know, there is there are plenty of things that can be done maybe specifically for manufacturing. You know, the alliance has has pitched 
pitched a, a zero zeroing out the corporate franchise tax, which I think is is would be a, a, a huge incentive to to make more investment in the state. Um, but to me, it's it still goes back to what we've been talking predominantly in this conversation. It's about investing in workforce. It's about continuing, you know, a quality pro education program that that has some some solid fundamentals, um, but also maybe re-emphasizing um, gr putting greater emphasis on career and technical education. Um, certainly, the P-Tech schools have been have been great, but uh, you know that's not quite enough. I, I, but I think that there's a, there's some a lot of opportunities at at, at all levels of of education, particularly con continue. Uh, I'm sorry, um, a career in technical education uh, and community colleges. Yeah, I would I would say build on the strengths of New York, and that is our educational systems. But go beyond that to career and technical educations. Focus on keeping. Uh, those students who are learning here. We are a net exporter of students. We need to get out of that business. Uh, and you're right, Jonathan, we need to grow small, medium-sized businesses, not just big ones. And the small, medium are really the job creators because as they grow their production, as they grow their markets, they grow in people as well as capital investments. So it's about focus using what we have, our great school system. you know, And we do have uh, policy tweaks that we can make and investments that would matter. And as Harold talked about, we did it for large companies, zeroed out the corporate franchise tax. Let's do it for all manufacturers because that's the real job growth, small, medium. You know, let's invest in apprenticeships. Let's make them ready, available, and starting in high school. You know, let's let's be the place where you can find the talent. We have lots of job producers coming to New York and they need thousands of individuals. Let's go all in and making sure that if you want to work for us, you got it here in New York. Uh, that's the number one thing they want to know. Amazon's coming to central New York. They want 1,500 people. Do you have them? If you want to get the big uh, OEMs, you need to have job uh, opportunities. And if you want to keep small and medium-sized growing and staying here, you got to have the right people. Um, to me, you can buy the capital and invest it and put it anywhere in the world. But if you don't have smart people to run it, it's not going to matter. So I think that's the level of playing field here is, yeah, you can make it in India, you can make it in Indiana, but will you have the workforce you need to do it? New York could thrive there. Yeah, it definitely is a competitive advantage. I will also add that infrastructure is huge as well. Yep. And you know, we, we uh, you know, that's the, you know, we, we still the, the water and sewer, nuts and bolts, roads and bridges, <laughs> that's still important. And, you know, we, we have maybe uh, let some of that go, but but I think the state has, has uh, you know, recognizes that and is working that well. So th this is actually really interesting because what you guys are suggesting is for that issue of talent and the pipeline, that there is a greater emphasis on what to do high school and even at middle school. Then we know that we're, as, as Randy, you pointed out, we're a net exporter of our college students. We have the, make it easy, the second largest college population and yep. we lose them. We have them here for two to four to, you know, then graduate degrees. Harold, you've always rattled off for me the names of all the good um, engineering schools. Would you mind doing that? You know, we have RIT. Uh, on the spot here. I'll start with SUNY New Paltz. Right. Uh, <laughs> within the Hudson Valley. They're our home. Uh, you know, RPI, RIT, uh, Cornell, Clarkson. Uh, Stony Brook, uh, Binghamton, Buffalo, you know, we have some uh, 
some top-notch programs for sure. Yeah, throw in my my alma mater, Syracuse uh, University, of course. And well, but you're right, we perhaps, have it in perhaps, yeah, the, the, yeah, perhaps the United States Military Academy might be well, one. Yeah, they, they see, yeah, in the world. Too. I wasn't one of them. But, <laughs> uh, you're right. We have a ton of them, and you know, and not just that. We have great all, all, all other kinds of undergraduate. We have a great community college system. We have a fantastic high school system, one of the best funded and best high school systems. And so we have we have the whole package when it comes to education, in my opinion. And we have not leveraged that into you know keeping those individuals here. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if there's any gimmicks to doing that, Jonathan, you know, tax incentives or, you know, uh, cash bonuses to stay or anything like that. I think the, the key is to have jobs, yes. you know, to wed those to wed those schools up. And they they all of those ones that I mentioned have great relationships with industry. I mean, that's, you know, they 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 are already the engineers have every opportunity to stay okay. uh, if they want to. Um, you know, that that's that is uh, you know, that's that's them. Um, you know, the listen, you're a who knows what goes into a 22 year old kid's head when they, when they graduate with a degree, you know, do they go, do they just want to go home? Cause there's a girlfriend in Virginia. Uh, do they want to go and try out what California looks like? Uh, you know, or do, are they, you know, just the, the kind of person that just wants to rock climb in, in the Schwangungs and then that, then we got them. So it's, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of variables there. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you have the jobs, if you have the opportunities, then, then people stay. If you have a robust internship system, if you have a, you know, a robust earn and learn system, uh, then you have, uh, then you're going to, then you're going to hook them. Then you're going to get them to stay. I think we missed the opportunity to hook them. I think yeah, Harold's right. If they got job, if they have jobs, internships, if they're connected to industry, they're more likely to stay. Uh, when you have that job offer, you stop looking. You stop looking for the other places to be. So I think we've missed that opportunity. And, not, and waiting until they're juniors or seniors, I would start uh, internships and you know part-time jobs freshman year if I was trying to get somebody because it's hyper-competitive for so many of these careers. So I, I think industry needs to do more. Um, I'm with I'm with Harold there. If we grow, if we're growing jobs, it's an exciting place to to live and to work. And your first job is here. You're more more likely to stay here, but if you're if you're waiting until you graduate, now you're looking for jobs and can go anywhere. You're probably gonna you might take that job someplace else. We also have to encourage people to come back because they may have gone away for their first job. Maybe you right. want to go see what Silicon Valley's like. It's really hard to own a home there, so come on back. Uh, there are plenty of places throughout New York State where you can have a great home near your great school, close to your job. You're not traveling two hours to get there. So I, I just think there's so many ways that we could just use what we have better uh, collaboratively. And we, and we, you know, Harold and I have been doing this now. He's been doing a little longer than me. I've been doing almost, you know, 19 years. But, but the reality is this is the time to do it is to, is to look hard and say, what can we do better? Uh, there's some, we've been dropping the ball in a few areas, but it's not that we don't have the assets. I think we do. So um, last question because um, our time's up. So uh, all three of us are deeply involved in the state's regional economic development councils. Mm -hmm. So every year there always seems to be, here's our new emphasis. It could be on workforce training. It could be on childcare. It could, every year there's something. Any thoughts on how to get this whole discussion of manufacturing to the top of the pile? 
You know, it's it's interesting. We're a little spoiled because it's kind of been at the top of the pile, you know. I mean, I, I, at least in our council, you know, if a manufacturing project comes before us, you know, it, it's got every benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, it really, we want to make it work. Um, you know, but I, I guess the you know the, maybe the question is which projects below that you know can can uh, can we support? And, and I guess it would be kind of on that the, the workforce and, the, and infrastructure side of things. For, for my money, I think that those are the ones that that I think if we if we emphasized you know getting getting people, I'm not even going to say young people. I keep keep saying that, but I don't mean that people into the pipeline to consider careers in manufacturing. That would be where I want the want the emphasis to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with Harold. In our region too, we tend to we tend to get and invest in projects that that are tech or manufacturing, but but we we don't always have a statewide strategy in that approach. And I don't know if we've if we've been as focused on trying to attract new industries as well as grow existing industries. You know, um, I think we're trying those things. I think the governor's focus on open for business. You know, focus on investing. By the way, that Red Sea process has been a significant improvement. You know, local opportunity to make investments, like Harold said, to look at across the spectrum. I think those infrastructure investments should include broadband, needs to include the, sort of the next generation of infrastructure. 5G, we have actually a major 5G producer in our region. We like to see that continue to be invested in. So I think um, what we have to do is not lose sight of what we've been trying to do as we come through the pandemic. Um, you know, let's let's not forget that we need to reinvest and we will have to invest. Um, but let's see what's changed. And I think what we've noticed that's changed is the world has accelerated towards more technology. You know, let's 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 go all in on that. Um, and then let's continue to make smart bets on how to do that. By the way, we will need better childcare. It's a huge uh, deterrent to getting more people into the workplace, right? And one of the things I think New York can also lead in is two clean energy, one clean energy. Um, let's make it that stuff here. A lot of yes. stuff's made in Europe. What a huge opportunity to take billions of dollars and have it made in New York. And the second thing is let's go all in on diversity and inclusion. New York State has a history there. Let's get as many people from a broad swath of our communities involved in tech and manufacturing. Um, it used to be the great equalizer. Let's do it again. Let's get manufacturers hiring a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Randy Wilkin, Harold King, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure, I'm sure, since we've been talking about this for a long time. I'm sold. It's our carpe diem <laughs> moment. We've got to make it happen. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for tuning in to Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast. For more information about this episode, visit our website, patternforprogress.org forward slash podcast.